We're still in the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's mission statement is in the text that we'll be studying this morning. He writes in verse 14 of chapter 3, that we might know how we ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. That's us. That's all those who are descendants of Abraham. We're part of the family of God. We also read in 1 Timothy 1.5 another part of this message, and that's that the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart. Let's remember, too, that everything we're reading here is a correction to false teachers. At least in these first three chapters, this is certainly true. False teachers had kind of devoured people, specific people, groups of people, and the leaders of the church were suffering. They needed, Timothy needed to know, how should people act as leaders in the church? So he's describing the leaders in chapter 3, the elders and the deacons. It's no surprise that Paul desires sound and godly leadership in the church because the false teachers were anything but that. So the text is 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 16. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word? Beginning in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves to be blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that you, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do come to you as needy people, people who need your help, people who are beset on many sides with confusion and dismay, and we pray that you would break through confusion by your Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts, strike a straight blow this morning, With this very crooked stick, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The household of God is the title of the sermon. It got me thinking a little bit about when my children were younger and we would have people over to the house. Other children would come over and spend the night 
And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, there would be a little bit of conflict about the rules of the house. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. Take your shoes off when you go upstairs. Or we don't have phones anywhere near the supper table. Or whatever. Whatever that thing was that the the new child in the house did not understand. No cursing in the house. No gossip. No raised voices. Whatever. There's a certain standard of conduct, right? I remember some children... I don't remember which ones, but I remember that there would sometimes be a phrase like this that came up from this child. Well, in my house, well, my dad says, and you know the answer, right? Well, I'm sorry, son, but this is not your house. This is my house. You'll follow these rules while you're here. Paul seems to be making a correction to the church in Ephesus in a similar way. The household of God has certain standards, and they're all governed by the Word of God, but they really all focus on the big brother, you will, if you will, the big brother of the house, and the father of the house, the father and his son Jesus. So I want to highlight three three things for you from this text. First of all, that we serve each other like Jesus. The first hymn we sang said that Jesus is our friend, and he is, and he's our brother, and he is. So when we use this language, I'm very careful to also point out that he's our prophet, our priest, and our king, and our God. But as a co-heir with Christ, it's helpful to remember that he's the one that we look to to decide how we should manage and interact with each other in church. So first of all, the service looks like Jesus. Secondly, we'll look at the quality of deacons in particular. Jesus is our brother, but our deacons are serving as well as brothers in this family. And then finally, we'll look at the household of God, that we are all brothers and sisters by the Holy Spirit, that indeed this is a a relationship that is even deeper than blood, It's one that will last forever. In the text, you might have noticed last week and regarding elders and this week regarding deacons that the duties of the deacons and the elders aren't mentioned. Just kind of the qualities, the moral qualities required. So do we know anything about the the duties of a deacon or an elder? If you'd open to Acts chapter 6 with me very quickly, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 6, we get a great indication of why deacons exist. In verse 1, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Greeks arose among the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, pick, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer 
into the ministry of the word. And then they chose seven men, one of whom was Stephen, who ended up dying as a martyr. So we see that deacons are those who meet the physical needs of the church, of, of the people in the church. They, they're the active hands that reach out and help people in need among the body of Christ. Especially the poor, widows, orphans. Those are people who are sick or distressed. And one of the reasons that they do this is because the elders need to focus primarily on spiritual health, the spiritual health of the body. Well, that was the New Testament church today. Of course, nothing much has changed. Even our, our book of church order very helpfully highlights all of the various things that deacons do. And ultimately, what we should remember is that deacons love you. Our deacons are called to love. They're the active hands of Jesus reaching out to you in love. And of course, everything that we talk about describes Christian people. Like this is all of us, but the deacons are the face of that. That's the first point as well, that deacons really do what we all do, and that's serve each other like Jesus. That's why the first words of verse 8 say, deacons likewise... Likewise, points to the previous seven verses talking about the elders. Deacons, like the elders, need to act this way. So again, there's no less value for the office of a deacon. I've been in some churches where the deacon was like elder junior or something like that. That's, that's not biblical. Just like there's no less value for a woman than a man in a marriage, every one of us are called to do something for this body and it's all valuable. It's all valuable. The only practical difference we see in this text is that elders must be able to teach. So deacons may or may not be called to proclamation of the gospel, but they're valuable, just as valuable as anyone in the body of Christ who does a work. We really could probably say, and I don't think Paul would mind, we'll know someday when we talk to him, but we could say, Rather than deacons likewise, we could say, and all the rest of you saints likewise need to X, Y, and Z. All of us. God has redeemed each one of us for his purpose, and that's to glorify him. And how do we do that? We serve each other. We love God and we love each other. We serve the body of Christ. Heads and hands, eyes and ears, noses and knees, arms and ankles. We all are part of the body of Christ. We all have a different purpose. And if any one part of the body is not working, then it really can be a huge inhibitor to ministry here. You might think your toes aren't that important until you break a toe and you realize how important your toe is. You might think your fingernails are not that important until one of your nails gets ripped off or something and you realize ah, that's really, really important. We're all here with a purpose and it's not random. God has placed each one of you in this body to do something. To minister to the body. To glorify God here. If you are serving right now the body of Christ, thank you. Thank you so much. 
You know, in most organizations, there's an 80-20 rule. I've seen it my whole life. I know you have too. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's just human nature. That's why it's everywhere in the world. That's why we see it all in all places. But the church is to be different. This is where 100% of the work is done by 100% of the people. We all are pitching in. We all are acting like we're deacons. More on that in just a moment. I would say, too, if you are not serving the body of Christ, if you just come and soak it all up and then go home, certainly at best this is unchristian, but at worst it's dangerous to bury your talent and wait until Jesus comes. We don't do that. What Christian people do is they get involved, they get dirty, they get vulnerable, they use their gifts to love the body of Christ. That's what a family does. Families don't work when one person in the family just sits in the corner and does their own thing. A family doesn't work like that, does it? Well, the church is no different. You have been given a gift. Many of you might be thinking right now, well, my gift's really not that important. What I, what I do isn't really that critical. It's a lie. What you do is very important. We need you. This church wants everyone to realize the full potential of their gifts. But regarding elders and deacons, the qualifications are almost identical in their moral quality. What you read about deacons isn't like, oh, well, that's not quite as high a standard as for elders or vice versa. No, it's different words, but it's the same idea. A deacon, like an elder, must be a true Christian person. We all should ascribe these things to our lives. The duties aren't discussed, but the qualities are. And the qualities are the opposite of what we saw in the false teachers. That's why Paul is writing this. The false teachers were not that. They weren't blameless. They weren't gentle. They weren't kind. They didn't hold up sound doctrine. They weren't servants. And the deacons were probably heavily influenced by these false teachers like the elders were, like the women in the church were. And so the care of the needs of the congregation suffered. And this was a problem. So I think the key to this first point is that the likewise just says, you need to be like the elders. The elders need to be like you. In other words, you need to be like Christ. The key to the likewise in verse 8 is that we're both elders, deacons, and all of us consumed with such a love for Jesus that it just overflows. And deacons are the face of that, this overflowing love for the body of Christ, like a well of water. They are men marked by love and love for the needs of the body. Yes, they're Specific duties in our church include caring for buildings and budgets, and our deacons do great. But they also care for you, for the people. And they do that as well. It's a great privilege to serve. So qualifications for deacons. This is the second point. We're just going to look at each one of these quickly. I think the context is the love and the care that's required it's interesting to me that when you look at the, the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter, the letters of John, one of their favorite phrases is to ascribe to themselves the title of slave of Jesus. 
In other words, we're working for Jesus. He's purchased us. He's bought us with a price. And it's our privilege and honor to do that. So with that context, let's look at the qualifications, the specifics of deacons. There are also the qualifications of elders, I might add, and really any Christian person. But deacons should be true Jesus followers, sold-out, blood-bought, Christian people, slaves of Christ. We see in verse 8 that they're dignified. That just means these are sober, serious men. They're dignified. Dignity has taken a, a bad rap in our modern culture. Like to be dignified, people have just these weird ideas. Well, to be dignified is something that's unattainable. Really, it just means they're not silly men. They're not flippant. They're dignified about their duty. I remember uh, when I was first a squadron commander, there were, there were probably 12 squadron commanders on the base, and the wing commander had a couple of them, and those are his, his right hands. He, he does what he does through the squadron commanders. There were a couple of these squadron commanders who, who were just kind of sloppy guys and girls. I mean, they were always kind of laid back, flip-flop kind of t-shirt people. And you cannot do that when you're in that position of authority. Why? Because if someone dies, you have to be ready to go and talk to their family like that at a moment's notice. When people see you around the base, they get a perception of who you are by just how you are every day. So if you look like a slob every day, and then you put on your uniform from 8 to 4 or whatever... It obviously doesn't work. Because when it comes time for you to do real work, real work helping people through the difficult problems they will face in life, they don't want that. What they want is someone who's dignified, who holds themselves to a higher standard, so that when those times come to be serious, you already are seen as a serious person. Steve Larson mentioned, would... We want this from our doctors as well, from professionals. Like, would you want a silly man to do your heart surgery? A guy who's just silly all the time? No, you wouldn't. You want the doctor to do your heart surgery who is probably a little bit antisocial, who's just so into his work that he can't even talk to you properly. But he knows what he's doing. That's the guy you want to do your heart surgery. Similarly, our deacons are to be dignified men. Then he goes on to say, not double-tongued, like speaking out of both sides of your mouth. They don't talk to you one way on a Sunday and then talk to you completely differently on Monday. They're not hypocrites in their speech. Again, remember, this is for all of us as well. This is just describing Christian behavior, isn't it? Of which the deacons are the face. Thirdly, not addicted to much wine. I remember in a previous church, one guy told me he wanted to be a deacon because he could be drunk a little bit. It's like, no, that's not what that means at all. Not addicted to much wine means you're always ready to act. And if you drink, you drink in moderation, but you're certainly never drunk. Fourthly, they're not greedy. Remember, deacons were people who were distributing alms to the poor, so they had the money bag like Judas, if you will. But Judas shouldn't have been a deacon or a disciple or anything because he was greedy. He was stealing from the bag. 
As this is one of the primary duties of deacons, they shouldn't be tempted to steal by their greed. Fifthly, they hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There's no questions in their minds that the gospel is true. The mystery of the faith is how Paul often describes the gospel in Ephesians chapter 3. He says the mystery was made known to him. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So deacons are men who, unlike the false teachers, are clearly committed to the teachings of the apostles. They're men of the book. They're blameless, he says. They're to be tested first. This probably means looked at, their lives are looked at for any glaring inconsistencies, just like the elders. Anything that would bring discredit to the church or Christ and make their ministry ineffective. He goes on to say that they should be the husband of one wife, like the elders. Not polygamous, not immoral, committed to their woman if they're married. Paul, of course, wasn't married. He's the one writing the letter. He calls singleness a great gift to the church as well. But if they're married, they need to be faithful and committed to that woman. Then he says that they should manage their own children and households well. This is the same, almost the exact same wording he used for elders. You might think, well, what does that mean? Like, what's the measure of that? You look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and how he loved his church and gave himself up for it. He came not to be served, but to serve others. He spoke the truth to his family in love. And it's... Its relevance is obvious. If there's a home that's mismanaged, if you see rebellion or deceit or anything that's not Christian that exists in a home, then certainly that man will be unable to serve the church or lead. Finally, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Calvin thinks that he's probably referring to the wives of elders and deacons. And I hesitate to disagree with Calvin, so I won't. But he's probably referring to both, to the wives of these people in leadership. Why would he mention them? Well, they have a a certain trust, don't they? They know a little bit more about what goes on than most people in the church would. And they could use that in a negative way, couldn't they? And that's why he says the wives, their wives must be dignified, not slanderers. They need to be Christians in how they act. And this was a problem we know in the Ephesian church. In 1 Timothy 5, later in this letter, he talks about some of the women, the widows who are younger, who didn't really have much to do. He says they... Learn to be idlers in chapter 5, verse 13. They go about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. It's as if Paul's saying, your wives should not be like that. The wife of the elder or the deacon has a special trust, and they need to be dignified and serious in this role, and they need to be faithful. Not stirring up controversy, but keeping their tongues under control. Using the information they have for prayer. 
So the summary of point two, elders, deacons, their wives as well, are mirrors of what the household of God should look like. Godly, restrained, certainly joyful in their service, full of love for Christ and his body. This pleases our Lord. Notice in uh, verse 13 that he transitions He transitions from the duties of the deacons to the reward. He says, Deacons who serve well gain good standing for themselves and great confidence in their faith. How do they gain good standing for themselves? Well, this this faithfulness kind of inspires trust. It's a good standing. We all trust these people, these men. And they have great confidence in their faith. They know, like all of us who are in the faith, that the good things that come out of our lives are ultimately a result of the Holy Spirit. And we have confidence when we see our sanctification. We know, oh, thank you, Lord. You're working in my life. Calvin said, the deacon who faithfully performs his duty is intent on serving God and works conscientiously. Even the wicked will be shamed by such a man and will honor him. So in light of the false teachers and how they've disrupted the church in Ephesus. Paul has instructed Timothy on prayer and worship and now the church offices. And now we're told why the letter is so important in the third point. And you know the answer. I've, I've mentioned it almost every time we've talked about Timothy. That we should know how to behave in the household of God. This is a family. The household of God. The church is the household of God. And we should know how to act, how to love each other. Paul says there's a standard for the church. The false teachers have warped doctrine. They have warped practices. Their orthodoxy is bad. Their orthopraxy is bad. But you now should know how to act, Paul says, in God's house. The reason? Because everything we do is missional. We talked about this in chapter 2. Everything that we do is part of God's plan and his mission. Remember, he says God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. We should pray for all people. Our mission inspires our behavior and vice versa. These details are important. My nephew is in basic training right now in the Air Force, and it brings a smile to my face because, you know, an 18-year-old going to basic training, none of what he's experiencing there he's probably ever thought of. One of the things I remember was hardest for me to learn, and those of you who know me well know that it's probably still not my strong point, but attention to detail. They hammer you at attention to detail over and over every day. You need to notice everything. Well, why does it matter if I didn't notice the dust ball in the corner of my room before the inspection? Well, because you didn't notice it. You should. Well, what does it matter if my name tag is a little just crooked? As long as I do my job, like who cares about that little thing? Why is that important? Well, when you continue on in your career, you're given much more responsibility, and now you're given a checklist. Almost every job has a checklist. And in an airplane, the checklist items, you have to pay attention to each one. If you skip one checklist item, it's not like, well, it'll all work out. That's not how it works. You need to pay attention to every detail. So the things you do in basic training prepare you for the bigger scope of your mission later in life. 
The same principle applies here when we think of the church. Everything that Paul is telling the church, all the details involved are important. Let's say you miss one of those things. Let's say you have an elder or a deacon who's just greedy for gain. You're like, well, he's just greedy, but that's okay. He's such a good person. It's going to come back and bite you, right? And you can insert any one of the things that he's mentioned. How about we are a church who, instead of praying for all men to be saved, we actually just you know, pray that some of these really wicked people just go to hell. So that attitude really can come back and bite you, right? It's going to grab you at the core. All of the details that Paul mentions are important. Indeed, all of God's word is important is the point. And he tells us how to treat each other and the children of God. We follow our checklist. We follow God's word. Everyone in this church is part of the household of God. And we should treat each other well. We should watch our words well. We should be people who pray for each other often. We should be modest in dress, restrained in speech, people who are godly in our behavior, people who overflow with a love for Jesus and the saints. People who understand that this is not just a fun thing we do on Sunday. This is approaching the throne of the living God, our consuming fire. And that's why Paul mentions the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Think of those words. What's the mystery? The mystery is that we pursue these things, and we should. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says that we throw off sin, and we run with perseverance. But the mystery is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, He enables and enlivens that process as we trust in God, and we find that we are sanctified. We find that the household of God is blessed, that we are able to love each other. God is glorified and we are blessed. And the watching world knows that we have been with Jesus. We have been with the King. And when we do this, we become a pillar and a buttress of the truth. These are supports of the truth. The the, the truth emanates from the church of God. He's called the church to teach everything that he's commanded us. That's the word of God. Right doctrine and right practice. This is true. All of you have a different gift. All of of you are called to this household, this family, with a purpose. Ultimately, there's one purpose. That's to glorify God with your gifts. But whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. So our three points again. The deacons, like the elders, like their wives, are just Christians. All of us. They're Christian people. Secondly, the qualifications point to Christ. And thirdly, the household of God is missional, and we all have a mission, we all have a purpose, and it's all about Jesus. And that's probably why he concludes with a, a kind of a hymn, an early church hymn about Jesus that really reminds us a little bit of the Apostles' Creed. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit when he rose from the dead, probably. He's seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And we would add, he's coming back. Amen. He's coming again. He's the only one who can help you. If you are suffering in the sin of 
or in chains and bondage of sin. He's the only one who can make peace between you and God. He lived perfectly. He died the innocent, perfect sacrifice. He rose from the dead. He's coming back in glory. I remember when Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching um, at one of the university chapels. And they had always had these distinguished men who came and preached to them year after year after year. And Martin Lloyd-Jones came. And they, they were used to very academic sermons. And a lady, after a few Sundays, said to him, your preaching is very different. And he said, well, in what way? And she said, you treat us like we really are. You preach to us as if we are sinners in need of repentance. So if you are that person today, turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Come to him. Now is the time. As the elders and deacons come forward to prepare the table, 